absolutely nothing. If you believe that, then you're going to walk differently in your life. And when trials come, um, then you're going to react different to trials because if there is nothing that can stand against him, then what is it? What is it that we fear? <laughs> you know, when I read those portions of Scripture in, in Romans, you know, chapter 8, where, where it talks about, you know, well, if this and that, it's like, no, the world can come against us. Satan can accuse me, blah, 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 blah. It's like, but what are they in comparison to who God is? Come on, put in perspective. Man, oh, man. Well, let us continue in the Gospel of Matthew. And if you will, make your way over to Matthew chapter 11 as we finish this chapter this morning. Um, we have been looking and studying um, the king's authority uh, within this portion of Scripture from, ver- from chapters 8 to chapter 12. We've been looking at this, at this authority of the king who came to earth. And so we continue to see through those chapters... The, the manifestation or how that authority was manifested, how it was challenged, and how it was rejected. And what we have seen is that the message that was preached was the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is, is at hand. And it was first preached or came on the scene with the forerunner of the king. Because a king, whenever he was going to a place, whenever he was showing up somewhere, there was someone that went before to announce that he was coming. And John the Baptist was that forerunner that, was, that had come before the Messiah, before the king, to announce and to give this message. And when John the Baptist was thrown into prison, the king himself picked up that message And he began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I love the fact that, as we have studied in the last couple chapters, the king sends his subjects out (laughs) as his ambassadors, if you will, the apostles, the twelve disciples. And they went out to preach the same message to the people that God sent them to, that, that the king had sent them to. Now that message that went out for the most part, was received by the common people. But it was rejected, for the most part, by the religious leaders of the day. And Jesus shared with us somewhat of a parable last week in the, in the uh, closing portion of our text last week from about verse 17 or verse 16 to 19. He kind of gives us somewhat of a parable of, of children playing in the marketplace. And they put on this play, which apparently was common in the day, of either you know, playing a wedding or playing a funeral. And they would do those kinds of things. And yet, in that little play or that little scenario that he gives us, the children were never satisfied. They were never satisfied or pleased with anything. And that was an indictment on the religious leaders. The king's authority is once again manifested in our text this morning. As we cover the rest of the chapter from verse 20 to verse 30. And it comes in the form of a call to judgment with a woe. upon those who would reject the king. But it also comes in the form of an invitation to come to me, to those who would receive the king. So beginning in verse 20 to the end of the chapter. Then he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Kerosene. Woe to you, Bethsaida. If the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to Heaven will be brought down to Hades. 
For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained till this day. But I say to you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by the Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my soul upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Lord, that you would bless your word as we have read it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we go back right here to verse 20. Then he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done because they had or did not repent. Now, I I would say that it is safe to assume on my part here that Jesus is talking to the multitude. The the same multitude that just heard about John the Baptist. If in fact he is going chronologically here, and he doesn't always. But they had heard about John the Baptist, and at the end right there before he starts this verse, it's again safe to assume on my part, that he was indicting the religious leaders by that little parable that he had just shared with them. And, and as he continues on in this conversation, Jesus began to say some pretty heavy-duty words here to the multitudes. He says some pretty heavy things about the consequences of rejecting the message to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. They had rejected the message, but they were also rejecting the authenticity of that message, which came in the form of mighty works. And the evidence that they were rejecting this was that there was no repentance, by and large, by the people. So I want to look at three words in in verse 20 that really stood out to me. Here in our text, verse 20, three words that stood out. They are rebuke, mighty works, and repent. Now I know what some of you guys that catch on really quick are thinking. Mighty works, that's two words, Zeke. (laughs) They are one word in the Greek, so there. (laughs) But the word rebuke, that's a strong word. And it means to defame, i.e. rail at, chide, taunt, cast in teeth, suffer reproach, revile, upbraid, upbraid. Now this was something that Jesus was doing that was very, very intentional. Jesus was not just blowing off some steam here. He, he, he didn't just have to get something off his chest. So he's just going to, to chide these people or these cities. This was very much intentional on Jesus' part. That he would rebuke these cities. And it's interesting that he is rebuking cities and not so much individuals. He, he is kind of lumping in these cities and, and, and casting a rebuke upon them, a reproach. He is chiding them, if you will. 
upbraiding them. The majority in these cities and or those in charge of these cities were rejecting the message and thus not repenting. And so he lumps them all in, just like he would judge a nation. Maybe not so much the individual, because in the, in the nation, in the, as an individual, people can get saved and, 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 and escape that judgment in that sense, even if the nation has to go through it. But he is casting this, this rebuke over the cities that, that are mentioned here. And like I said, mighty works is one word in the Greek, and that is the word dunamis. Dunamis. And it means force, literally or figuratively, especially miraculous power, usually by implication a miracle itself from the Strong's Concordance. It also speaks of ability, abundance, power, uh, strength, violence, mighty, wonderful works. That, that word dunamis, we end up getting the word dynamite from that, from that word. Or dynamite, as J.J. Evans would say. In good times. Some of you youngsters going, I have no clue what that meant. Google it. Look it up. Some of us older folk remember that all too well. Unfortunately. <laughs> but he's talking about this power that was demonstrated in these cities, this dynamic power that was made manifest to these cities. And the last of these three words was the word repent. And it means to think differently. Or afterwards i.e. reconsider morally, feel compunction, compunction, compunction. I better stop before I cuss there. So. <laughs> to change one's mind, repent. I've always heard it like this throughout my Christian life. To change direction, to do a 180, that you were headed in one direction and you've turned from going in that direction. You've had a change of mind, of heart. Jesus was not going to change the message here because it's a harsh message, repent. And, and I know that for oftentimes that word repent is a bad word to people. It's like, oh man, I got to change my ways. But it's not a bad word. It is a good word that he would give us the opportunity to change our ways. And yet so many people look at it in the negative, but it is a positive that he would give you and I the opportunity to repent, to change our way, to go the other direction. But he was not going to change his message to make it more palatable, more appetizing to the people. He wasn't going to coat it with chocolate to make it go down easier. The power of God was preached and made manifest. And because the lack of repentance, a woe was pronounced on these cities who were indifferent, unresponsive, and apathetic. It was a ho-hum kind of message for them that really didn't change them, although it had the power to change them. They were indifferent to it. Oh, some outrightly just rejected it. But more often than not, people were just indifferent, unresponsive, and apathetic to the message. And so he tells us in verse 21, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! And, and, and in verse 23, he says, And you, Capernaum! There's another woe. 
And the word woe is a very hard and harsh word as well. And isn't it, isn't it interesting? We often have this picture of Jesus of being this like milk toast kind of guy. Very meek and mild and just like, oh, let's sing Kumbaya, peeps. Let's go. And yet, man, he is having some harsh words right here. He is rebuking these cities because they have not repented and he casts a woe upon them and it is an intentional woe once again from Jesus. Again, he's not getting something off his, off his, off his chest and he's just not going like, Ooh. no, this is intentional woe to you. And it means a primarily ex- exclamation of grief, alas, woe, a state of intense hardship or distress, disaster, horror. It is a denunciation, condemnation, and accusation against these three cities. Deliberately, he is saying that. Intentionally, he is saying this to these three cities. Jesus is pronouncing this woe on, on Chorazin, on, on Bethsaida, and, and um, Capernaum here. All of these three cities were on the north side, if you look at your map, on the north side of the Galilee. And they are in, in, in close proximity of each other, just a couple of miles from each other. When you look at your map, they're just on the, on the upper part of that. And they're usually right right there. I think Basadia has a, a question mark next to it because they're unsure if that's the one or there could be a, another one. But most believe it was those three cities in that little close proximity. Because these were cities in which Jesus and his disciples went into many times. It's quite possible that some of his disciples came from those cities. Or they lived in those cities now. It's interesting because Capernaum, the one that was right off the shore, right there in the Sea of Galilee, that is where he had set up his headquarters when he left Nazareth to come to to the Galilee area that Capernaum had become his adopted hometown, and yet he's casting a woe upon his adopted hometown here. It is within that area, if you look at your map, that I remember being, you know, having the, the... being able to go uh, to, to the Galilee and, and, and our guide looks north in that area and he says this, Jesus did most of his work in between my arms right here. So about 75% of Jesus' work was done in that area. His mighty works were done in that area. And they could not deny it. People knew about Jesus or they had heard about Jesus. They had seen Jesus. They heard about the mighty works. They seen the mighty works. They were witnesses to these things. Most of these people now, because of that, were now responsible for what they had seen or heard. They were responsible for that. To whom much is given, much is required. And I know that we say that for Christians. And we are. You know, we're responsible for what we hear or what we know, what we've read. To much is given, much is required. But even for the world at large, those who, who heard the, the message and rejected, they will, they will be judged for those things. They're not going to be able to say, well, well I never heard... <laughs> You know, play the the tape back. You know, it's like that time, that time, that time, that time. And I know some would say, well, well, maybe it's not fair because they didn't ask him to come to their cities. (laughs) But the fact of the matter is he did. He chose those cities to go to. Why? Because people needed to be saved and hear the message that they need a Savior. And many did respond, but many did not. Jesus contrasts here in this portion of Scripture, He contrasts three Jewish cities, for the most part, to 
three terribly wicked Gentile cities. Tyre and Sidon were cities in the Phoenician coast, up on the coast by the the sea or or the Mediterranean Sea, which we would consider right now modern-day Lebanon, is where Tyre and 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 uh, and Sidon are, and they are respectively uh, respectively about thirty-five, sixty miles from the Sea of Galilee. That would be up in that direction, on your map. And the third city that he mentions here was another wicked city that most of us know about really well. And that is Sodom. Oh, it's always attached to Gomorrah. But he mentions Sodom here in particular. And that city was about 100 miles north or south of Galilee. And it is just south of the Dead Sea. And these were well known. And might, they might, Tyre and Sidon not, might not be well known to you, but you study the Old Testament and you'll, you'll see Tyre and Sidon throughout. But the people of the day that he is speaking to, very familiar with all those three cities. They knew about these three cities and they knew how wicked they were. That they were totally wicked. And they had already, for the most part, received judgment from the Lord. Throughout the Old Testament, there was a judgment that came upon them. And in that day, some of them, if not all three of them, were already destroyed. They had already been in ruins. But now Jesus is looking at the final judgment as he's talking to these people on the day of judgment, he says, where all men and all nations will stand before their maker and they will receive their level of judgment. And Jesus says, it will be more tolerable for these three wicked Gentile cities than for the three Jewish cities who have rejected the mighty works of God. Another, other words for tolerable are bearable and endurable. It will be more bearable, more endurable judgment for these guys, for Tyre, Sidon, and Sodom. They will endure less judgment than those three cities that were right in that close vicinity. Which, which kind of just kind of tends, you know, you kind of tend to think, it's like, whoa, there's going to be different levels of judgment. And, and he will meet, meet, met those out or meet those out or however the word is. He will give those out. I would, I would say it like this, so maybe we can understand just a little bit better, hopefully. For those who have had the opportunity to receive the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ for salvation, and for one to downright, just downright reject it, to become indifferent to it, It would be more tolerable, bearable, endurable for people like Hitler, Mussolini, and and Saddam Hussein on the Day of Judgment than for that person. You're going, oh, come on, Pastor. That's basically what he's saying. They knew. They knew how wicked Tyre and Sidon and Sodom were. And Jesus is saying it's going to be more tolerable for them than for you. That's how hardcore Jesus is talking here, man. He's not coding it very, very sweetly, right? Because Jesus says that if those mighty works that they had experienced, that they had seen, that were in their midst, if those mighty works that were done in these three Jewish cities had been done in these, these wicked cities, perverted cities... He said there would have been repentance for them. Sodom would have remained until today. They would have repented if they would have saw what you saw or seen, whatever the word is. So again, Jesus is using some very, very strong language 
or, or words of rebuke. And it is intentional. And it is serious. And he spoke this to the multitude that were, that were around him about these three cities. And I would say that many of those people lived in those three cities. And he was talking about their hometowns. And now they had an opportunity, responsibility, if you will, to go back to their hometowns and say, no, really, dude, you got to repent. Here's the message. You saw the works. Can you imagine these guys going back to their hometowns going, it's going to be more tolerable for Sodom than for you, for this city here. And they're going, come on. Just like we might think, oh, it's going to be more tolerable for Hitler than for somebody who's rejected the gospel going, really? He's just trying to scare me. It's like, no, that's what Jesus is saying. It's more tolerable for these wicked, evil cities than for those who have just deliberately re- rejected the gospel. It's interesting because these cities that he mentions here all came to ruin eventually, to this day. Even Capernaum, that's one of the tourist attractions. They're digging a lot of it up. It just it fell into ruin. All three of them. They rejected the mighty works of God. And he pronounced the woe upon them. If, if, if you doubt that a whole city that can, 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 can come back from a pronouncement of woe if they repent, we have the example of Nineveh in the book of Jonah. That they heard when Jonah reluctantly went in there 40 days, boom, burning like crispy critters, guys. All you guys. And he wanted it to. And yet they go, serious? And they all repented. I remember reading a book, I forget the guy's name, but he was like one of the high generals for Saddam Hussein. And he was a Christian up in the, the Assyrian area, up in the uh, Kurdish, no, anyways, up in the northern area. And he said that his family and that region, um, their religion dates back to Nineveh. That that's when they changed. And they had become more of a Catholic nation or, or region, but a Christian nation in that. And I thought, wow, that's, that's kind of hardcore, that there was a remnant from that. Verse 25, let's move on before I run out of time. Man. It says, at that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. Now, as I was looking really hard for the question that was asked here, because it seemed like there's a question because he answered and said, um, as I'm looking for it, I'm thinking, okay, it sounds more like a statement because the other translations just said, and Jesus said. You know, and, and, and in the New King James and the King James, it says Jesus answered and say, said. But as I'm looking at for, you know, an answer here, um, Luke's gospel associates these words and the rebuke of these three cities with the return of the 70. His disciples, the 70 that had gone out on a particular mission, which was different from the 12 apostles' mission that they had gone on, that they had just got back from. So again, I've told you that Matthew doesn't always go chronological. And so, I don't know, except that we have the opportunity here. We have Jesus having this intimate moment with the Father, and we are invited into that conversation that he had with the Father, and we get to listen in. And so, again, I'm not quite sure how all this fits in, where it fits fits in, but we have the Word of God here sharing with us that Jesus is talking to His Father, and He begins by saying, I thank you, Father. And Jesus' acknowledgement to the Father with this, I thank you, Father, in essence is saying, I am in full agreement with you, Father. And I am perfectly in the same mind with you. Father, Jesus also acknowledges 
that his Father is the Lord of heaven and earth. And that he is acting on earth in the same way that he would be acting in heaven. With all the things which are in accordance with the Father. Like holiness, righteousness, mercy, and truth. He is acknowledging who his Father is. And he says that you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent, but you have revealed them to babes. Now some would say that that's unfair. That is unfair that he would hide anything from anybody. But the truth of the matter is that it is wide open and revealed to all, but it's hidden right under the layer of pride and arrogance from the, from the, from the wise and the prudent. It's there, wide open, that babes can find it. But the, the, the wise and the prudent, there's this pride and this arrogance that's associated with that, that they can't see it because it's, it's right under that level of pride and arrogance. It's not deep. God's not a far off. You see, a babe has humility and honesty that is very childlike. And they can understand Just how simple the gospel is. Because it's not complicated. The gospel is not complicated. Not at all. And they receive it with the simplest of faith. They accept it. You see, babes are not like the wise and the prudent. The wise and the prudent try and figure it all out and end up complicating the whole thing. It's interesting, I, I, I often share that with people. It's like, let's not complicate it. The gospel is not complicated. If kids in the back back there can receive it, then we should be able to receive it. But don't we overthink everything? And don't we complicate it? Even when it comes to salvation that's free and easy, and, and, and a babe can, can receive it, and we say, yeah, but mm, Zeke, that's kind of too simple. Be careful, wise and prudent one. Here Jesus is declaring that true discipleship can only come and be enjoyed by those who come to him with childlike faith, as we've heard and we hear throughout the gospel as Jesus points to the little ones. Because they don't complicate it. (laughs) He says, it seemed good to the Father's sight to do it that way that all disciples should come as children with humility and honesty. In verse 27, I'm going to read it through the Amplified for you, and you know I love the Amplified, and everybody should own a version of the Amplified just so you can follow along. Put on your phones. It says in verse 27 in the Amplified, All things have been entrusted and delivered to me by the Father. And no one fully knows and accurately understands the Son except the Father. And no one fully knows and accurately understands the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son deliberately wills to make Him known. Those whom He deliberately wills to make known to the Father. God in His sovereignty has revealed himself to man as it seemed good in his sight to do. And for those who have ears to hear, they will definitely hear it. They will truly hear the gospel in its simplicity because God is never that far off. And he has made it simple enough for babes to understand it. The fact that the word became flesh and dwelt among us is a deliberate move on God's part, on God the Father's part. He deliberately sent His Son. It was deliberate. It is a deliberate move on God the Son's part as well that was willing to put on human flesh. 
And the fact that God the Holy Spirit is actively working to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment proves that man only has to respond to those deliberate moves of God. That's it. God God has done His part. And He will not force anyone, but He has not hidden it from anybody. It says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus said this also in John 3.37, All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and the one who comes to me will by no means be cast out. Second Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slack concerning His promises, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's wide open. If you have ears to hear, you're, you're going to hear the gospel and respond to it. But if you become indifferent or just downright reject it, that's on you. And then in verse 28 to 30, oh, some of my favorite portions of Scripture here. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Man, those should be underlined somewhere in your Bible. Highlighted. Maybe even tattooed on your arm or your back. It's a long scripture. (laughs) (laughs) They are amazing portions of scripture. And And so here, he says, come to me. Here's that contrast to the woe that he gave earlier. As harsh as that woe is, we hear the tenderness of his voice here, don't we? When he says to you and me, come to me. He doesn't like, come here. Get over here. He doesn't do that. I I hope when you're reading this portion of Scripture that you can feel and hear His tenderness as He invites you, come to me. Again, can you imagine Jesus casting these woes on these people that He has already invited? Here's a message, repent. And He has to say woe to you. And then he says, come to me. Come to me. And you see the invitation is open to all. Even as we read in those scriptures in John and 2 Peter. Come to me. Because he knew and he knows that men are under the weight of sin and death. And he is willing to trade places with you with man he's willing to do that to those who accept that invitation man it's done he's traded places that is the overall invitation for all of mankind but brothers and sisters this is also an invitation to all of us as his disciples as those who have already come to Him. And this invitation is, come to me daily. Come to me daily because I know what you're carrying that you were never intended to carry. (laughs) You were never intended to carry any of this. I'm not getting choked up. No, I'm not. The word labor means to feel fatigue. By implication, to work hard, 
toil, be weary, to grow weary, tired, exhausted, with toil or burdens or grief. The words heavy laden mean to load up, to heap on, to be overburdened. Is that any of you in this room today? <laughs> that you've been laboring and you've been heavy laden? <clears throat> the promise this morning is, come to me and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. In other words, he will cause or permit one to cease from any movement or labor in order to recover and collect his strength to give rest, refresh. The Amplified puts that portion. I will ease and relieve and refresh your soul. Mm. That was in stark contrast to what the Pharisees had been doing to the people. Because later on in Matthew, Jesus would, would address that in talking about the Pharisees in Matthew 23, 4, where it says, For they, speaking of the Pharisees, bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. What a contrast between what, what the Pharisees were doing, the religious leaders, and what Jesus is offering. Peter spoke out to the early church leaders, to warn them about what they were trying to do to the new Gentile Christians. And he says this in Acts 15.10, Now therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the necks of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we are able to bear? Why do we put trips on other people when we can't even handle those kinds of trips? Why would we do that? Why would we complicate it? Why would we make somebody jump through a hoop that Jesus never put through? Why would we do that? We end up acting like the, the Pharisees, man. We put burdens on people. And Jesus say, no, come to me. Come to me. If you're laboring, if you're fatigued, come to me. And I will give you rest. <clears throat> I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Now, most of us know what a yoke is. That's when you say something to make somebody laugh. Okay, now that's a joke. It's a type of harness that would connect a pair of animals together to plow or, 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 or a similar tool. And an oxen were, was the animal, the most common animal that would have this yoke on them or, or a mule or whatever it was. But it was to do work, to work the land to effectively work the land because there's work to do. Guys, walking with the Lord is hard. It's hard work. It really is. Only because it goes against everything that this world has. (laughs) If the work of the Lord and the world were like Going together, it would be okay. We'd blend right in, but we're not. We're going against it. And it's hard. And we could get burdened and heavy laden. Because it is hard. And we could get beat down. Trying to to carry the weight of the world because nobody's listening. Everything's going wrong. If it wasn't for, for Jesus, I'd be out the door type stuff, you know? Because we're trying to do what is right and what is righteous and good. Jesus, knowing the pressure that his people are under, says, take my yoke upon me, upon you. In other words, yoke up with Jesus. Yoke up with him. Let him carry the load. And you just come along for the ride. He says, learn from me. Learn from me. I, I've always heard 
throughout the years of my, my Christian life that, that a yoke of oxen didn't have two, two oxen at, at the same maturity level or size, that there was always one bigger than the other. And that the other one would grow into that role. And when this one got done, he would take over and they'd put another one in. And so Jesus says, learn from me. The good thing about this scenario is that we never have to take over that yoke. Jesus is always the one that's always there. If we yoke up with him, we will learn from him throughout our life. We don't have to ever switch with him. But I know we often do it. I got it now, Jesus. I can handle this yoke. <laughs> that's a yoke. <laughs> right? That you could handle it? That I could handle it? I got this, Jesus. No, that's the beauty of this portion of Scripture that he says, take my yoke and learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart. I'm gentle. I'm not like the guys that you, 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 you see, these Pharisees who are putting this pressure on you. I'm not that. I know oftentimes... <laughs> Because we lead families or we, we lead others and we can, some of us who, who even lead churches, we weren't made, we weren't intended to carry the load of all of it by ourselves. We weren't made to, to carry the burdens of the world or even the Christian world. We weren't made for that. And guys, I'm preaching to me because I try to carry everything. I try to take care of everything. And she's going, why do you fret, Zeke? They're my people. You don't have to carry their yoke. They carry that yoke with me. We were always intended as a church to be yoked up with Jesus. Learning from him every step of the day of the way until we get to the end. And the yoke is taken off and we enter into eternity. That's the way we're supposed to do it. <laughs> One of the main takeaways here is that, yes, <clears throat> it is work. But Jesus carries the, lo the load. <clears throat> and his desire for us is that we just rest. We just rest in who he is and what he does. And we just plow along with him because he's the one that kind of takes us through. Not falling behind, not getting ahead. He just kind of takes us through. It, it may look like you're doing all the work and you're doing all the heavy lifting. <laughs> but the weight is truly on Jesus. And as I was looking at that and thinking about that, it's like the sun who thinks that he's doing all the work and all the heavy lifting and all the while dad's on, you know, doing all of it. And the, the kid goes in and tells mom, I did all that work, mom. And dad's going, he did. He really did. <laughs> when we truly accept this invitation to rest, then we will not only experience the peace with God, but we will also experience the peace of God in our lives when we truly just rest. And once again, I want to read through the Amplified. Again, everybody get one because um, I always read through it. The, these verses in the Amplified are amazing. 28, it says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden and overburdened, and I will cause you to rest. I will ease and relieve and refresh your soul. 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, meek, and humble, lowly in heart, and you will find rest, relief, and ease, refreshment, and recreation, and blessed quiet in your soul. For my yoke is wholesome, useful, good, not harsh, sh hard, sharp, or pressing, but comfortable, gracious, and pleasant. And my burden 
is light and easy to bear. Isn't that amazing? All of that. With all of that, what would you rather? The judgment of woe or the invitation to come to me? <laughs> Almost seems like a no-brainer, right? Let's pray. Father in heaven, truly blessed, Lord, that you have given us your word, Lord. Lord, what a stark contrast that your word gives us this morning. The message to repent for the kingdom of heaven went out to all. And yet, Lord, there are some who are receiving a woe and some who are receiving come to me. What an amazing portion, Lord. Lord, I know that for the most part, many in this room have received the message, have repented of their sins and are walking with you, Lord. And yet, many of them are carrying the weight of the world on their shoulder, Lord. And the invitation to them this morning is come to me. That you may receive peace with God and the peace of God. Lord, help my brothers and sisters. Lord, we all battle these things. I know we do. And I pray for each one of them that, God, you would truly give them rest and comfort for their souls, Lord God, please. Lord God, if there's any this morning who maybe are so far away from you, Lord, and it's been their pride and arrogance that have kept them from receiving the gospel. I pray that this morning, Lord God, this message has truly touched their hearts and they don't leave here indifferent, but that they will respond in a positive way, Lord, not in a negative way. And I don't know who you are this morning, man. I don't know where you've come from. I don't know what, what's truly going on in your heart. But I want to give you that opportunity this morning that maybe, maybe you have battled and reject this message time and time again, but today God's calling you out and saying, listen, what would you rather, a woe or an invitation? And if that's you today, man, right where you're sitting, man, just raise your hand. I want to pray for you. And in your raising your hand, you will be acknowledging, I need God in my life. And I want to repent. I want to turn. So if that's you this morning, man, don't go any further. I just want to pray for you. Father, I pray, God, that, Lord, you would just use my brothers and sisters as they go out and share your word with others, Lord. That, God, they would have the same boldness and power that you gave your disciples, your ambassadors back then that they would go out and take ground for the kingdom, Lord, sharing the word with boldness and with kindness, Lord. Whatever the case is, in that situation, give them boldness. Lord, go with us now, we ask. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.